0: Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the scriptures again with us as we investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom. We've been pointing out that the kingdom of God is the overarching theme of the entire Bible. In order to have a biblical worldview, we must get a handle on what God has been doing from the beginning, what God is now doing, and where God is aiming his objective, and that objective is simply to restore peace and harmony to our tortured earth. You know that how from the beginning man was twisted by the wiles of the devil. Man and woman together were twisted by the cunning of the devil into disobeying the plain command of God. For what the devil offered them, of course, seemed good, attractive, and desirable, namely to have the tree which was forbidden to them. But the consequences of that act of disobedience were fatal, not only for the first pair, but also for mankind in general. They lost, you know, the power to have immortality at that time. Adam and Eve could have had immortality if they'd obeyed God. The tree of life was available to them, but unfortunately and tragically they took of that other tree, the tree that looked so attractive, so desirable, that even promised them wisdom and the discernment between good and evil. It tasted good, no doubt, because all the devil's offers are well packaged. And yet it was fatal disobedience to God. And it ruined their chances of gaining immortality there and then in the Garden of Eden. And it is responsible, that one act of disobedience, for the ruin of the human race and for the mess we are now in. But God has been working an inexorable program to recover what was lost in Eden. Right from the very start in Genesis 3.15, as you probably well know, he promised that there would be a famous descendant who would reverse the tragedy caused by Adam and Eve and the devil, who would reverse that tragedy to the extent of restoring peace, order and harmony to this earth and banishing the devil once and for all. The end of the story, of course, is found in the book of Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, God has had one overarching plan, and that plan is summed up in the famous phrase, Kingdom of God. Now, the actual words, Kingdom of God, do not occur with any tremendous frequency in the Hebrew Bible, but the idea is everywhere. We read of a time coming when God is going to reign, and the Jews customarily understood that to be the Kingdom of God. So when Jesus appeared on the scene, he used the phrase, Kingdom of God, To summarize what all the prophets of Israel had hoped for, the national hope indeed of the whole nation of Israel was that one day the kingdom of God would be restored to this earth, that the tragedy that befell our first parents would be irrevocably and finally reversed and everything would be made well. Isn't that something that we all long for? Isn't that something desirable? And wouldn't we all want to have a part in that kingdom? Well, Jesus' gospel of the kingdom of God offers just that. His teaching is geared to our fondest desires and hopes. It was his desire that we should, in fact, respond with joy and excitement to this prospect of taking part in the coming kingdom of God. No wonder then that he says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. And then pray as your first priority, thy kingdom come on another occasion he said when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God you see Jesus looked upon the kingdom of God as the great event of the future it is fundamentally misleading to think of the kingdom of God as mainly in the present of course there are effects of the kingdom of God in the present but the kingdom properly speaking belongs to the future many many texts will prove that to be true the kingdom of God then is the principal hope of all the Hebrew prophets. And Jesus, as the last of those great prophets, as well as the Son of God, took up that great national hope of Israel and gave it a prominence it had never had before. The time was at hand. The world was to be in a state of alert and readiness as God got ready to introduce his great revolutionary government. That is the essence and the driving force that lies behind the words of Jesus and the apostles, with the utmost urgency, they warn, they announce, they instruct, they admonish, and they rebuke, all in view of the one great object at the end of the road, namely the coming of the kingdom of God on earth in the future. There really can be no doubt that the kingdom of God is the central message of Jesus himself. Many scholars have seen this to be true. I spare you the labor of going through hundreds of, of different books on theology but let me read you the conclusion of one historian who examined the New Testament to see what it was mainly about he said this it may be said that the teaching of Jesus concerning the kingdom of God represents his whole teaching it's the main determinative subject of all of his discourse his rules for living were ethics of the kingdom his theology was theology of the kingdom His teaching regarding himself cannot be understood apart from his interpretation of the kingdom of God. And it may not only be said that all his teaching had relation to the kingdom, but also his action, everything he did, from the days of his baptism, all the events of his life, until the final culminating event, the crucifixion. All these, says this author, had reference to the coming of the kingdom of God. From his baptism onwards... His whole life was dedicated to the mission of announcing the kingdom's approach and of calling men to prepare for entering it on the conditions which, by divine authority, he announced. End of quotation. Now, that's a fairly lengthy statement, but it makes the point most forcefully that the heart and soul of Jesus' teaching had to do with this kingdom. For Jesus, the kingdom of God, was a magnificent obsession Kingdom of God is the master word in all of his theology the genius indeed of the christian faith is concentrated in that word kingdom and kingdom of course is the label that goes with the word gospel the gospel in the bible is not the vague term that sometimes seems to be the case with it today it has a definite label a definite identity marker it has a descriptive title it's not any old gospel it's the gospel specifically concerning the kingdom of God as Jesus the Messiah taught it and all the apostles after him taught it. The fact that they did this can be seen easily by taking a Bible and opening at the beginning of Mark or Matthew or Luke and seeing that the inauguration of Jesus' ministry centered on this one great objective, that of announcing the kingdom of God. As we trace then the ministry of the apostles, Peter and Paul Through the book of Acts, particularly Paul, we find that the same kingdom of God occupied the time of Paul's preaching enormously. In every city it was the same message. Acts 19, verse 8, is typical. He conversed and discoursed, argued and dialogued, and debated the kingdom of God in good Jewish fashion from dawn till dusk. That was the heart and soul of Jesus' and Paul's ministry, their favorite topic and it's a fact which can be established easily with a little bit of personal study. Now, may I let you in on one of the secrets of successful Bible study? It's essential to have a good grasp of the Hebrew Bible, what we mistakenly really call the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible is the source of the excitement and the thrill at the prospect of God's coming kingdom, and Jesus works out of that base as a Jew of the first century He is driven by the words of the Hebrew Bible on which he'd been nurtured from childhood. It really is a problematic business trying to read the New Testament without a solid basis in the Old. And so this term, Kingdom of God, we're going to examine from the point of view of the Hebrew Bible in subsequent programs. But for the moment, we're looking at the parable of the sower, which has to do with how the Kingdom Gospel proceeds, what kind of success it meets with as it encounters different types of soil namely, different kinds of people with their various reactions and their various capacities to understand and take it to heart. In Mark 4, verse 24, Jesus followed his parable of the sower by saying that we are to take care what we listen to. To the degree that we share what we have found with others, in the same degree we will be rewarded. More, says Jesus, will be given to us in addition if we give give away what we have received. So the Christian is urged here to communicate the message of the kingdom of God to others. He's been given it by Jesus, and he then has an obligation to pass it on to others. That's the essence of the Abrahamic blessing, that we share the light that we have with other people. When we teach others, Jesus says, we receive greater gifts of wisdom and understanding. But if we don't go on to grow and to produce fruit, then we will lose even what little we have. Mark 4, verse 25. Jesus, you remember, had pushed off a few yards from the edge of the Lake of Galilee. Assembled on the shore were large crowds who had journeyed vast distances to hear Jesus, this celebrated new teacher in Israel. From this unusual pulpit, seated in a boat, Jesus communicates the secrets of immortality and human destiny. In other words, he adds his wisdom to the ongoing plan of God to restore peace and harmony on earth. Jesus, at this stage in his ministry, is adopting a new form of teaching in parables or comparisons or illustrations. The teaching itself, of course, is directly connected with his earlier public announcement that the kingdom of God was at hand. That's to say, it's near, but not actually here. It was on the horizon and coming soon, exactly as the prophet's, many hundreds of years before, had used the same sort of language. That same message is just as relevant to us today as it was 2,000 years ago. The kingdom of God, I have to tell you, has not yet come. That's why we're praying, Thy kingdom come. We're to beseech God to send his kingdom on the earth. That means the second coming of Jesus, of course. That great event will mean the inauguration of the kingdom of God worldwide, and you can consult Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 18, for that great biblical fact. Join me again for a few moments as we imagine ourselves back to that scene on the edge of the Lake of Galilee. Seated in a little fishing boat a few feet from the shore is this extraordinary Jewish Galilean teacher of wisdom, a brilliant exponent of the Hebrew Scriptures, which we rather unfortunately call the Old Testament. Above the birds cross the blue sky, and round his audience, cornfields stretch into the distance. Jesus presents himself to us here as the great sower. Now every teacher is, of course, a sower in some sense. We are all dropping ideas into the hearts of others all the time, but Jesus is the great communicator and the great inspirational speaker, the greatest of all time, a kind of Mozart of theology. Whose words have lived on down the stretches of time for some two thousand years. He's also, of course, by means of this inspired message, the Saviour of the world. Have you grasped what that essential seed was which Jesus was always sowing? It's called the Gospel message about the kingdom of God, Matthew 13:19. That's the heart of Christianity. That's the one phrase which every Christian needs to come to know about. That's the vehicle of divine revelation. It was Jesus' favorite topic, and it's really the principal theme of the whole Bible itself, as we've been showing. God, you see, has a great design in process, and it is to bring peace to the earth in what will be called the kingdom of God when Jesus returns to establish it and inaugurate it with its headquarters in a great new metropolis in a renewed Jerusalem here on this planet. Our time is running out for today. Join us again as we continue to probe these vital questions about life and immortality as Jesus offers it to us in his good news about the kingdom of God.